0: again, everyone and welcome back to the Reimagine schools podcast i'm your host greg goins and i'm so excited to bring you this week's episode as my guest is dr john spencer a former middle school teacher best-selling author and current college professor who's on a quest to transform schools into bastions of creativity and wonder dr john spencer is a popular keynote speaker who's passionate about design thinking in the classroom He also shared some great pearls of wisdom in this episode from his two most popular books, the first being "Launch: Design Thinking to Boost Creativity and Bring Out the Maker in Every Student, and the second is Empower, What Happens When Students Own Their Learning. Both those books were co-authored with AJ Giuliani, who's also a great resource for all things related to design thinking and creativity in the classroom. This was a fun conversation. We talked about everything, from teaching creativity in the classroom to how teachers can create deeper learning experiences for students through project-based learning, or more importantly, problem-based learning as kids are working together to solve wicked problems to make the world a better place. Be on the lookout for Dr. John Spencer. If you're here in Kentucky, he's gonna be at a couple conferences this summer. And uh, so check him out on Twitter at Spencer Ideas. And uh, if you get a chance to see Dr. John Spencer this summer, you need to make that a priority because he is the real deal. This is episode number 95. And so we are inching one step closer to that magic number of 100 episodes. And again, thank you to everyone out there that's listening to the podcast and sharing big ideas as we continue to have the conversation about how to create better schools for kids so let's get right into this episode my conversation with dr john spencer begins right after this quick promo from the education podcast network
1: Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reimagined Schools Podcast. Another great episode coming at you this week. Uh, My special guest today is a college professor, best-selling author, and host of the Creative Teacher Podcast, a big welcome to Dr. John Spencer. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to uh, finally connect with you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Uh, You have some amazing books that are out on the market uh, with launch. Empower and Vintage Innovation, Uh, have collaborated with AJ Giuliani, who I've had on the podcast before. So uh, just a big fan of your work. Uh, So I guess where I want to start is if you visit John Spencer's website, uh, one of the first things you'll see is he talks about being on a quest to transform schools into bastions of creativity and wonder. I love that. It sounds like something that Disney would have created for you. Can you take a deeper dive and tell us what that means to you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one, one of the things I really believe is. um, That who we are as people is, is that we are designed for creativity and wonder, right. That, that that is um, who we are at a deeply human level. And um, because of that, when, students get a chance to make to create um, to problem solve t- uh, to innovate um, uh, to imagine when all, when any of those things happen in terms of creativity I think they're getting to be their true selves right um, and and then it makes it changes us as people and the same thing with wonder you know I, I I think there's a a lot of interesting research out there on uh, intellectual um, humility and curiosity and how those two go hand in hand. And so I think the more you're filled with wonder, the more that you ask why, um, the more humble you are and open to new ideas and changes as well. So I kind of see those two things going hand in hand. And so there's, there's one level where I think it's who we are as people. It's what we need to be. Um, It's what kids need right now, whether they're in first grade or seniors in high school. But then I think those two factors also lead to things like higher academic achievement. It preps you with, you know, key essential soft skills for the rest of your life. Um, And so I also see it not only as an end in, in and of itself, but as a means to a greater end in terms of being a lifelong learner, being prepared for the creative economy, any of those types of things as well.
0: And, you know, I love the conversation about creativity, and I, I really don't think it's something that we spend enough time talking about and helping teachers kind of navigate that, that water. Um, I, in fact, I think there's a misconception that when students are in the classroom, it's not a very creative place. But if you think about real-world learning and real-world experience, I mean, if you're working in sales or in marketing or at an advertising agency or even a songwriter or designing games, There are so many opportunities and so many situations out there where we need to put kids out into the, into the real world as creators.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, I think one of the key ideas there is that there are so many different types of creativity and so many different domains, Um, you know, so, so creativity involves, you know, systems thinking and it involves problem solving and it involves, um, generating ideas, but it also involves mashups. It involves, you know, combining multiple ideas. There's so many different facets of what creativity is. And yeah, that's exactly it. It, it. It's going to be needed in every single domain. And I think with you know, the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's still the one thing that we as humans do that computers don't do well, which is this unprogrammed, divergent ability, um, I love, there was a definition of creativity that I love, and I forgot um, what her what her name was. There was a professor and she said uh, she defined it as functional novelty, right? It's the ability to, to do something new that's also useful. And if that's the definition, you know, then it's more than just doing something artistic or, you know, a painting or, or generating something new even. It's solving a problem. It's um, combining two different unrelated ideas. It's a lot of those elements as well.
0: And, you know, I, I know you're a big sports fan and I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Barstool Sports, but uh-huh. it's, it's it's a website and it's digital content. And I can't remember. It's kind of funny. I can't remember the last time I watched something on network television. I mean, I'm kind of knee deep in all the streaming services. I spent a lot of time watching YouTube because not only am I learning something every day, but it's just stuff that piques my interest. But uh-huh. I really got uh, here over the last couple months really got engaged in this Barstool Sports digital content. And mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with that, it, it's a it's, it's an online, it started out basically sports, but now it's evolved into pop culture and a lot of different things. But they have an office building in New York City and they have all these 20 somethings, all these millennials that are working there and mm-hmm. their job is content creator. And so they're running around, they all have a podcast you know, you can, you can reserve time for the podcast studio. They're doing blog posts. They're making TikTok. And so it's just this crazy cycle of creation all day, every day. And you go to the website and you watch whatever they put up. Sometimes they fail, fall flat on their face. Sometimes they'll, you know, something will go viral. But it's such a great culture. And I, I often think, you know, we often talk about why can't schools look more like Google? I'm telling people, why can't schools look more like Barstool? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, Yeah. And I I mean, I think that that's, we, I wonder sometimes if, if we, I love that the, the, the point you made about, you know, sometimes it's imperfect, right? Um, Because that's when AJ and I wrote launch, you know, one of the, one of the objections that we got from people was, you know, well, what if the work's not good enough to, to be launched? Or what if there's not really an audience for what they share? And I think, like, what TikTok has shown us over the last, you know, three years, or what Barstool Sports shows us, or what a lot of these platforms have shown us is um, the barrier of entry really is pretty low. And that if 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 kids create meaningful, authentic content, content that's, that really is genuinely meaningful to them, there will be an audience for it.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. And, you know, I've been talking a lot also about this idea that the role of the teacher has continued to change. And Mm -hmm. we talk about who owns the learning. And if the teacher's doing most of the talking and most of the work in the classroom, the person that does the most learns the most. So mm-hmm. why can't we flip that and let kids do more of the actual preparation, more of the planning, more of the actual learning that takes place every day?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, one, one of the, when I was on my kind of PBL journey, when I first started doing project-based learning, um, it, it, it was a gradual release for me to let go of control, right? So it was, it was moving from, you know, um, Chris Lehman talks about recipe based learning versus project-based learning. A lot of my early projects were more recipe style, right? And then it became more student voice and choice and then giving them more um, choice in what protocols they used, what ideas they had. Um, and, and then and then it shifted toward having them own more of the assessment process. But one of the one of the last things, which I think is probably year three or year four, when I finally, brought students into the planning process right and um we didn't have time in the classroom to do this so i actually did it uh once a week at lunchtime we just had um we called it our our student leadership team and um anybody could be a part of that right so it 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 wasn't like we elected a leadership team it was called student leadership team but it was democratic anybody could be part of it and um they helped select standards and choose, you know, from the curriculum map and look at what we were gonna teach and then generate project ideas and, and assess how the projects were going. And once that began to happen, I felt like, you know, we, we say, you know, I'm more of a facilitator or a guide on the side or that kind of thing. That was the moment where I really felt like, oh, there, there is true ownership right now in the classroom. Like that for me was, was a big shift um and it took a while to get there but um yeah it's even things like that really having kids come up with the ideas and um and give feedback
0: yeah and I think that's also a great segue into project based learning and it's something that I think a lot of teachers still are a little bit reluctant because they don't know what that looks like and at the end of the day I wish we could replace the p word instead of uh project, it would be problem because all you have to do is, you know, gather your kids around and say, all right, everyone, let's identify a problem and let's Mm -hmm. try to figure out possible solutions and just turn them loose and let them go. I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen?
1: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I love that. And one of, one of the things I noticed like in the, in the research on project-based learning is they're almost, those terms are almost used interchangeably, right? Because, um, what they found, for example, is is, is that um, the skills that kids learn when when creating something that's you know project based or when doing something that's problem based, where you start with a problem. Either way, they're developing those same skills, right? And um, I think that's exactly it. Give them a problem, help them solve it. Um, you know, give them the the structures and scaffolds for it, and then and then see what they come up with.
0: And you know, it's, it's one of those deals where we've always heard this saying, if if you want to do something, you'll find a way. And if you don't, you'll find an excuse. And I mean, we can, we can have an entire episode on all the excuses why we don't want to try something new. But I think it, when it comes to project-based learning, I, I think one of the true barriers in getting that started is trying to figure out the duration. You know, should this be a, a week-long project? Should it be for a quarter? Should it be a semester? Or maybe if you're out in the field doing know an internship or something at the high school level maybe it's a year-long type type mm-hmm. process do you think we get too hung up on duration
1: I do I think I think we get too hung up on duration and I think we get too hung up on it has to be big right you know, so so when someone is starting out in project-based learning I would argue you know do it do it a forty-five minute design challenge. Do a mini project that takes three days or five days, you know, and, and and just see how it goes. And some of my favorite projects were mini projects. They were short, but they were highly effective. Um, and yes, eventually we want to have something that goes to a, a larger audience, and we want to, you know, have have students interview people, um, you know, experts, and the authenticity people uh, piece often leads to your community connections and all these different things, but, um, but build up to it, you know? And, and, and the same thing is true of duration. Like I, I think about when I taught um, STEM and, and um, photojournalism, it was more like digital journalism. You know, the journalism class, every project was many, right? It was, it was you gotta have your media package done by the end of the week. And um, sometimes they could have an extension to do a bigger one. Um, but then they all, at the same time, had had a, a semester long. So you're talking 18 weeks long, bigger project, and that was often something like a 20 minute documentary that they did or you know, and, and we layered it and we had small, big, small, big. Um, and there was always some kids who who, who um, failed to finish that bigger project, right? And I would remind myself, it's not, it's not about the duration, it's not even about the completion, it's about the learning, right? And so if, if they didn't finish that, that's okay. And then when it came to my, my STEM class, um, that class, most of our projects were about three weeks long, right? And so I look at it and I go, there was one class, there was one, then another class that it was three, another class that it was, uh, or the class with, 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 with one week projects also had big semester long projects. And i would argue it really is as long as we're we're teaching the standards as long as they're learning it in an authentic way that's exactly it the duration is less important than people think
0: and you know obviously the the big shift that we hear every day is about deeper learning Mm -hmm. and everyone's talking about what that looks like what that means you know there's not a deeper learning handbook that teachers can order off amazon and figure out what that looks like so a lot of people are kind of pulling their hair out saying oh my gosh what do i do how do i figure out this this deeper learning uh movement what's your advice to folks that kind of have that thought
1: process yeah so i think you know i think deeper learning is uh it's a really big idea, right? And so it becomes a a challenge to wrap your head around. And for me, I kind of view it as, are you learning the content you're supposed to learn, right? Whether those are skills that you're supposed to develop or, or concepts you're supposed to understand. And are you learning those in a way where you truly understand it and you engage in critical thinking? And so for me, I, I kind of view deeper learning as it could be project-based. In fact, a lot of times it is. It could be inquiry-based, it, but it could also be, you know, writer's workshop and a Socratic seminar and, and, and things like that. And so when, when, when we think about deeper learning, um, I think instead of focusing necessarily on what, what are the instructional practices of deeper learning, i would ask are what are students actually doing in the classroom and is it inspiring critical thinking and if that's really happening then i think deeper learning is is occurring and so when you talk about doing something
0: it's active learning hands-on learning you talk about the maker movement and that, that's another thing. The, uh, the maker movement doesn't mean that you have to have this fancy makerspace down in the library where you're going to go use all these fancy things that have been ordered off Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. you can make things in a lot of different ways. And in reality, it you know, you can create things, uh, mm-hmm. you know, digital tools, technology, videos. In my mind, TikTok should be part of a makerspace, just anything yeah. that gives kids an opportunity to create something.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I think about it. One, one of the advantages I had in my when I taught STEM and, and journalism is I had to teach those in the same space, right? So, guess what? Our studio was our makerspace, and our makerspace was our studio. And so there was a green screen, and there were cameras, and there was a podcasting booth. And, um, and we didn't even have certain things uh, at the time because of budgets. You know, we didn't have a 3D printer, which is now significantly cheaper. We didn't have a CAD machine, but we did have circuitry. We did have, you know, um, spaces where students could sit and stand. And again, I go back to deep, deeper learning was was deeper learning occurring. And I think, yeah, you know, there was analytic reasoning. There was complex problem solving. There was collaboration. There were these, you know, soft skills being developed The the higher order thinking was happening at all moments. and I think that that's what makes a makerspace a makerspace is actually, are they engaged in creativity? And I mentioned that because, you know, I have seen times where someone has a 3D printer and essentially students are using a 3D printer to mostly print off things they found. And that's like having a printer doesn't make you a writer. You know, like there's this element of, the big question is: Are they are they actually making in the makerspace? And if that's the case, then I, I think a makerspace doesn't have to look like what we say a makerspace looks like. You know, it doesn't have to have the most fancy machinery. It doesn't have to have you know. I, I there was a a makerspace that I visited and um it was an industrial design class, and I love the fact that um there were things that I would never have thought of like sewing machines in there you know and again it, it just broke the stereotype of was it a maker space absolutely because kids were constantly making in that space and that was the key element you know one of the things I've always really admired about your work is you take
0: complex things ideas and make them pretty simple for teachers to understand so as an example you know um, design thinking <laughs> You know, if you use the the Stanford d.school model, I mean, it's pretty complex, and there's a lot to it, and if you look out in the business sector, there's a lot of different uh, iterations as to how design thinking is utilized, but you actually created a launch cycle framework for students that mm-hmm. I, I use it in the courses that I teach but my college courses, mm-hmm. can you kind of walk me through that process i mean launch is an acronym and i'll just go through them real quick to kind of set you up but the l is look listen and learn the a is ask tons of questions which i which i love the u is understanding the problem or the process n is to navigate ideas c is to create the prototype and h is to highlight the work and launch to an audience so Mm -hmm. talk to us about how that will help a classroom teacher launch great things in his or her classroom
1: yeah, so I think one of the one of the things that AJ and I realized we'd both been doing the the um, the Stanford D School model. We used a couple other design thinking models as well, and and we liked them, but there were certain things that we just kind of disagreed with um, a little bit. And one of them was, I don't think that the starting place has to be empathy. I think empathy has to be embedded in design thinking but the starting place is sometimes a problem. It's sometimes a natural phenomenon. It's sometimes um, a challenge that they have. It's sometimes um, seeing something within the community, but it's sometimes a geeky interest, right? So we both use design thinking as our model for say genius hour, which is really about your passions and interests. So some of it came from wanting some more flexibility in the starting place. Another part was, the, the models imply that students would ask questions and do research, but they didn't really, they didn't really build that piece into it. And we wanted two distinct phases. One is come up with as many questions as you can, keep it as open-ended. Um, we learned th- through trial and error that asking questions um, in that phase, don't give students criteria on what makes it a good or a bad question. Don't have them judge their questions, just get it out and get them to conquer the fear of asking a bad question or the wrong question or, you know? So it was really keep that as flexible as possible and then shift into a research phase where they navig- where they um, understand the process or problem. And what we found is that when we added those phases to design thinking, then when it came to ideation, right, where they're navigating ideas, students with less background knowledge now have more background knowledge, right? Um, And and so what they're generating is much more complex, it's much more um, original because they've gone through that research phase. And I think that piece was was really important. Design thinking in general often skips a lot of the heavy duty research phase because they assume people have that background knowledge a lot of times, you know, and we say we've got to make that explicit. The same thing, with we really wanted to make sure that there was an explicit launch to an audience. So we just had to kind of modify and tweak and and build something of our own. But at the same time, we feel deeply indebted to the different models like the D-School model itself where we were able to sort of build on that because, um, because those models were great too. You know, they gave us that foundation.
0: So as I kind of go down the list here, Uh, I I think probably the one that jumps off the page at me is to create the prototype Mm -hmm. and just to kind of provide some clarity for teachers that may be listening to this episode, you know, what does that mean and who creates the prototype? I'm assuming it's the student or the group of students that are, that's the big payoff at the end. They're solving a problem.
1: Yeah. And I think that the key thing there is that it has to be their original idea, right? So by navigating ideas, they then you know come up with their concept, and now they're going to actually create something. And what they create, you know, in terms of a prototype, is simply that it's it's not final, right? Being a prototype, it's just a first initial creation, so it doesn't have to be perfect. And they'll revise that when they highlight and fix. Um, and when we think about prototype, yeah, sometimes it's something physical. Sometimes it's something digital. Sometimes what they create in their prototype is a system or a solution or an event, and all of those are prototypes. So we define prototype very broadly as simply the unfinished product of what students are generating on their own. And then they're gonna have a chance to modify it and change it in the, in the revision phase. And I've also heard you say before that every
0: mistake takes students one step closer to success. And so that's got to be a big part of the uh, the launch cycle. It's OK to make those mistakes mm-hmm. and go back and
1: revise and and figure it out. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, one of our goals was that we wanted to pro- provide students with um, sort of a loose tight cycle in the launch cycle um, or, or, or so if you think about it, there's, there's moments where it gets high pressure and then it gets low pressure. So coming up with ideas, very low pressure, but coming up with research and really answering that, that can feel a little bit high pressure to a student. And then navigating ideas, it's very low pressure. And then creating that prototype is a little more high pressure. And then revising your work, it's low pressure. You're getting a chance to, 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 to iterate and to improve and then launching it as high pressure. And, um, and so the goal is to sort of give students slack so they can develop grit, right? To hold them to a high standard, but then to also give them lots of chances to explore, to make mistakes, to have things be imperfect. Um, and I think that was sort of the, the, the thing that we stumbled into in the launch process was that ebb and flow of high pressure, low pressure. Well,
0: I, it's been a great conversation. I could talk with you all day about this kind of stuff. Yeah. I, again, I'm a I'm a huge fan. And uh, you want to follow uh, John on Twitter at Spencer Ideas. Great follow there. Wonderful thought leader. Uh, also, your videos are amazing. If you go to SpencerVideos.com, you know, he, he breaks down a lot of different topics uh, in education in a short period of time. So uh, just wonderful work there. What advice would you give to those that may be listening to this episode? You know, the name of this podcast is reimagined schools and my mission and goal in life, I guess, or my quest is to help people think differently about what the classroom looks like. What advice can you give those folks to kind of move in that direction?
1: My, my advice would be just try, try something small, try a, a, a short, design thinking activity and see how it works for you or uh, try a mini project Um, you know just figure out what is one small thing that I can be doing that would spark that curiosity and creativity in students and then ask myself how can I then build on it because it is it's a lifelong journey Um, I'm, I'm still figuring these things out you know same thing with you working with college students going all right how do we make this happen how do i inspire more creativity how can i give more ownership to them um and so i would just say start small test it out see if it works for you and then if it didn't just try something new again well
0: great advice and have a wonderful summer thanks so that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined schools podcast once again a big thank you goes out to dr john spencer be sure to give him a follow on twitter at spencer ideas you can also buy john's books at spencerauthor.com so be sure to add launch and his other great work to your professional library if you want to bring john to your school or educational conference you can also visit rocketpd.com a community of educators and thought leaders that can meet all of your professional development needs so go over to rocketpd And you'll find a host of great speakers there that you can bring into your school district. As always, be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and leave a positive comment to help even more educators find this podcast as we continue the conversation on how to reimagine schools. So with that, folks, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep fighting for
1: change in your school.